Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to this bonus episode of She Said, She Said podcast. The month of November has been an incredibly busy one for me with lots of great events and lots of great opportunities to talk about what we talk about here at She Said, She Said podcast. I am truly honored and grateful to be your Sherpa of sorts as we navigate so many topics related to career and personal development and particularly those practices that help us build and sustain influence in our lives. And I am especially grateful to you uh, because you send such great feedback and perspective on your own journey. And I love hearing from you. I am really, really grateful when you reach out. Increasingly now though, friend, I am doing more in-person events, which I love. And I especially love having a chance to meet listeners of this podcast in person. And I'm really excited to be doing more of those kinds of events next year. But there is a flip side that occurs when I double the amount of work that I'm taking on. And that means that I have to take more breaks. And more importantly, I have to really plan for those breaks in advance before I hit a wall. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because there's an important message here. When I don't plan well enough in advance, I tend to hit that wall pretty hard, and I suspect you probably struggle with this as well, especially if you're building a business with limited resources and, of course, always limited time. You're, you know, maybe trying to balance your demand, the demands um, and the joys of motherhood and parenting along with building a business and building a career. It can be a lot. This past week, as I was reflecting on all of this and I was starting my holiday prep, I went back and I listened to one of my favorite episodes that is focused on the importance of self-care. But what I especially love about this particular episode is that it brings out some other important dimensions about why that investment in yourself matters so much and why that investment, even and especially when your time is stretched as it often or always is during the holidays, why it can make such a big difference for you and for those that you care about. 
So as I do my best to take my own advice and take a quick break before jumping into some amazing interviews that we have coming up in December. I'm sharing a bonus Encore episode with you this week. This episode features a dear guest who I have loved since we were first introduced about three years ago. I have become a devoted follower of her terrific content and books, and she's joined me here on She Said, She Said podcast twice already. Many of you also know and follow mom blogger and author Carrie Kompakis. She is truly fabulous, and I always find her clear-eyed approach to motherhood, both affirming and uplifting, and not to mention just plain helpful. Carrie can often present concepts in ways that just cut through the clutter and the noise so that you can really see the real issue. So I'm recycling this conversation with Carrie from earlier this year for a couple of reasons and not just because I love it. The first is because her latest book is called More Than a Mom. It also makes a fabulous holiday gift and I've included a link to the book in the show notes. In the book and in our conversation, Carrie underscores the importance of self-care, but she does it in a way that is consistent with how I talk about investing in ourselves and why it matters related to building and sustaining influence here on this podcast. How we talk about how that investment can sometimes feel selfish when in reality, it's what we must do in order to effectively invest in others, including our children. That is especially true as we do all the things that we need to do to create these magical celebrations during the holidays. Carrie also shares advice in this episode that I needed to hear again, and I thought you might get some important value from it as well. So give it a listen and let me know how Carrie's perspective on self-care strikes you and how you plow through the rough spots, especially around the holidays. So friend, here is my encore conversation with the amazing Carrie Kompakis. Welcome back to She Said, She Said. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so delighted to have you. You and I met for the first time back in 2020, right in the middle of COVID. We were introduced by a wonderful mutual friend of ours. My life has been richer as a result of that. And I know your legions of fans feel the same way. Oh, well, I feel the same way about your work. I just, I love reading what you're doing and just seeing your videos. It's just, you're so uplifting. Thank you. The podcast too, everything. And even the people you have on, I just, I love your work. Thank you very much. Well, present company included, and I am so happy to have you back. So this week, we're here to talk about a new book. Um, I'm always excited about your books, but this one in particular, because it aligns so beautifully with a topic that we've been talking about here on She Said, She Said podcast, which is this concept of investing in ourselves. So Carrie, tell us about More Than a Mom. That's the title of the new book. Why this book? That is a great question. And, you know, I think that it's not only just the circumstances we're dealing with in our world today, but it's probably has a lot to do with the, sa- the stage of parenting that I'm in. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter's a freshman in college, so I've been doing this about 20 years. And, you know, I think the big thing is just you get to be this age. I'm almost 50. I'm celebrating my 50th birthday this summer. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. And, you know, and you, you might relate to this, but my dad, my dad put it well. He's like, the older you get, the more your body dictates what you can and can't do. 
And I think, you know, I'm just looking ahead and I'm thinking, you know, I've got to really start taking care of myself inside and out. I'm like, I, you know, what is my second act of life going to look like? And what am I envisioning for myself? And it always helps me to have kind of a vision I'm working toward. And the vision I'm working toward in the next 20, 30, 40 years, God willing, if I'm still here, is just to have to be a healthy grandparent and, to, you know, be a, a help to my children when they're at the age that I am, because I know how overwhelming it is to be a mom in this season of life. And I'm like, I want to always be an, an asset and a blessing and to be able to support my children. But to be able to do that, I've got to be healthy myself. And so, um, you know, the, the book before this, as you know, was Love Her Well. That's about loving your teenage daughter. And one thing I've learned about raising teenagers is that, you know, if we're not in a good place, a strong place as parents, then we're not going to be, going to be able to love our children well, especially in the teenage years, because it gets really tricky. It's really hard. It's really stressful. Sometimes you're trying to love them well and they're not loving you well in return. And I just really learned just in my own parenting that I've got to rely on my faith. I've got to rely on my friendships, on my spouse, the people that build me up, who love me and fill my cup, um, just really taking care of myself and allowing time for rest and renewal. Because when I do those things, I can turn around and be a stronger mom for my my children. I can be the more the mom I want to be for them, not be so triggered so easily and so impatient because I'm, I'm not going, I'm not operating from an empty, an empty cup. So um, I guess, you know, I don't know if you relate to that, but, um, but that's just where I, I am in, in parenting. And that's what I wanted to write about for other moms. I love that. I love that. So in, when you joined me before a couple of years ago, that was episode 116, I think, um, we talked a little bit about your background, how you got where you are, and also the fact that you're the mom of four, right. <laughs> four daughters, including a daughter who is now in college. So the topic of parenting and parenting girls in particular is something that is both near and dear to your heart and something that you know a lot about. So for folks listening, if you missed episode 116, be sure and go back. We're going to touch on elements of Carrie's story, but we're actually going to dive deeper into this latest uh, book this time. One of the things that I that really resonated with me in this book um, relates to the example that we set for our children, not, not just in doing the right thing. I mean, we all know how important that is as parents, but this goes a bit deeper and it's really the example that we set in terms of how we handle things that are happening around us and COVID and the pandemic are great examples of that. Maybe uh, talk a little bit about this particular concept in the book and kind of how you think about that. Yes. You know, I think I'm just so much more aware now that my daughters have three teenagers and then one preteen. She's 12. And I'm just hyper aware right now that my girls are always going to remember what they witness in my life right now. I feel like they're watching me on an even deeper level than when they were younger. And, you know, one thing that really inspired this thought of what are we modeling for our children during COVID and just in this season of life is when my mom passed away two years ago, you know, you lose a parent and you are just flooded with memories. And it really surprised me that the majority of my memories of her came from my teenage years, my early 20s, kind of those years when I was getting married and first having babies. And I think it's because, one, your brain's in a different point of development. So you remember more from that season of life than maybe when you were a child. And then also I was spending more time with her still. And so it just really hit me. I was like, my kids are going to remember this. And, and I want to encourage parents. I think that when we become parents, you think that you have to be this perfect role model. And that is so not true. I mean, I've really learned, especially the, the further I get into parenting, is that we can 
model a healthy response to things, especially when we're going through adversity or facing a trial. And I'm so aware that the things that I'm going through at this age or that my friends are going through, which is some major league stress, as I call it in a lot of cases, that my girls might be going through this kind of stress or adversity in the future. And I want them to see what a healthy response looks like because you have a choice. And I think that so many people aren't equipped or they don't have the tools. And um, for me, it ultimately goes back to faith and relying on God to get us through those moments. But I just really want to encourage moms that even if you're a single mom or if you're going through, you know, cancer or a financial crisis or whatever you're going through, you still can be an amazing role model for your child by the way that you handle your adversity. And I actually think it's more important than ever for our kids to see that because they're living in this world where they think they have to be perfect. The world is telling them to be perfect. That they think that one mistake in their life is over and they need to see adults, you know, going through loss, going through adversity, grieving, going through these hard things in life, but then coming out on the other side stronger than before. And I don't think I think we do them a real disservice when we make them believe that life is perfect and they're not going to face these curveballs because they will all face these curveballs. And so I'm just I try to be hyper aware, even as we're going through COVID and just really I let my kids see me lean on my faith. And, you know, I talked about my anxiety. I'm, I'm anxious right now. But what I was doing to work through that, which is, you know, remembering God's truths and just speaking truth to myself and taking time to, to rest and to really uh, renew myself so that I can handle the challenges. I love that. I, I, I love this additional dimension as it relates to perfection. We already know that perfection is something that is a terrible thing to do to ourselves. But I think in the context of thinking about our relationships with our children and what they see and how they see us model that, I really, really love that dimension. Another element of the book that resonated so deeply with me is this concept of uh, of self-care versus um, selfish care, sort of how sometimes self-care can feel really selfish. And frankly, sometimes it is. <laughs> but, but talk about getting the balance right and why self-care is such an important component of being a good mom, a good partner, a good friend, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, I think that's a great question. And I had a, a, a counselor friend and she said she really liked that part too. And um, I think we just live in a world of extremes. And so when it comes to self-care, you know, especially it's such a buzzword these days at self-care, right. a lot of people just roll their eyes like, oh yeah, that's an excuse to go take vacations and take bubble baths and all that. And and I'm like, there is there is probably, you know, there are some people you could use self-care as an, ex, as an excuse for anything. Like, well, my kids are stressing me out, so I'm going to leave my family or I'm going to go, you know, spend more time with my friends and my family because this is self-care. So, you know, you can definitely take it to an unhealthy extreme or an unhealthy direction. Um, but then, yeah, I think that we live in a world where either, you know, one extreme is self, self-care self becomes self-worship. It's really all about me and it's all about how I feel and maybe we're not, you know, being the parent we need to be. But then there's also that element of self-neglect where, mm -hmm. you know, we're being a martyr and we think our job is just to serve the people around us and our needs don't matter. And there's really got to be a healthy in-between. Um, and, you know, going in the direction of the self-neglect, I, I keep thinking of the story of a friend of mine who was editing a book for um, this guy who had an amazing come to Jesus moment. He had made some really terrible mistakes and he turned his life around and is doing amazing in ministry now. But he was talking about when he was growing up, his mom would always emphasize to him and his brothers the need to respect women, to be respectful of women. But then when he noticed, he was like, but when it came to her life, she didn't make men respect her. 
Mm-hmm. And he saw that disconnect. And I think that that's sometimes what can happen to us as women is like, you know, we're we're valuing other people and other people's lives above our own. And as we've talked about, you really can't pour out of an empty cup. We've really got to restore ourselves. And and I don't know if I, I believed that when I was a young mom. And even five years ago, I, I'd say, I'm not sure I would have written this message five years ago because. Really? Yeah. Like, I mean, I just remember when people talking about self-care as a mom. Like when I was a new mom, a nap made everything better. Just having a, mm-hmm. a, a day to myself made everything better. I was I was rejuvenated and I felt like that was all it took. Well, then your your children back then, your children were smaller and the problems were were, uh, were proportionate to their size, right? Yes, yes. And as you know, the older your kids get, you know, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Precisely. And so it just becomes more emotionally draining. It becomes more mentally draining. A lot of their problems are not quickly solved. And so you're like, okay, how can I try to have some semblance of peace and joy and hope, even in the midst of a trial when I don't know how this will end up? or where this trial is going. And it's really hard. And I think as our kids get older, we realize how much inner strength we need as women. And um, and it amazes me. I mean, I think women do have so much inner strength and so much potential to become really strong. And so I think that component of our life becomes really important as our kids grow up, because I just think about myself, like I, I not only want to be strong for the things that I'll go through, I want to be strong for the things that I know my daughters are going to go through. And I want to you know, you can't do that overnight. Those are things that we have to gradually cultivate that inner strength um, so that we can be that loving support to them. And yeah, the, the emotional piece takes so much energy. It takes so much more energy than I think when we're first having children and we're young moms, it's hard to appreciate the energy that's required of the emotional demand even when your children are really like thriving and doing great they're still normal kids and they're going to have challenges and disagreements and problems and all those sorts of things to navigate and i find that the amount of mental and emotional energy that that takes is still sometimes kind of stunning to me yes i agree and i think too that women are just intuitive and that is such a gift but i think that Sometimes I'm like, my husband and I have these conversations like these, if I die jokes, you know, and I'm like, if I die, you, you know, worry about this one. She might look good on the outside, but she bottles things up. Sometimes we just are intuitive. Sometimes we know something's not right with our child. We sense these things that I don't think our husbands always do. And it's a gift, but it can also make us worry even more. And, um, and I think that we, you know, when, when our kids are struggling, we don't necessarily get over it as quickly as maybe a man would. And a, a story to illustrate that is a friend and I were talking and she's like, you know, my husband and I were both really worried about our teenage son. And we had this conversation and we agreed that this needed attention and all of this. And she's like, two minutes later, he's whistling around the house. You know, he has moved on from that conversation. Like, I was still worrying about the conversation. And I'm like, I totally relate. Like, that's how I am, too. You're still thinking about it. Right. So I just think that as women, you know, and it's, it's out of love. We love our kids so much. And we, it's the mama bear. We're just, we want them to have a healthy life. We want them to thrive. And so we're constantly asking ourselves, what can I do to help them? You know, how can I help them through this? And it's, it's such a gift. And I think any child that has a mother like that is so lucky. I wish every child had a mom like that. But for us on the other end, we really have to equip ourselves and just, like I said, build that inner strength so that we're able to be that mother to them. Yeah. You and I are both working moms. Um, most of the women, I would say, who are listening are probably working moms or you know, potentially working moms or they're in the midst of some kind of career pivot. 
when you have all of those demands and a family, or maybe you're planning a family, you've got a lot on your plate that you're trying to balance. So let's talk a little bit about getting that balance right. It's hard enough to prioritize work and family life, but then when you also are trying to prioritize your self-care and spending that time that you need to refuel emotionally and sometimes physically as well. Maybe talk about how, what your advice is for getting that balance right and how you talk about it in the book. Yes, that is a great question. You know, I think that um, I'm really big into seasons. And one thing I talk about in the book is just, I didn't know. And sometimes we don't know. We go into, we start working and we don't know what work's going to demand of us. And we have to kind of learn the hard way. But when my first book came out, you know, I just accepted every speaking invitation I got. I was traveling, but I'm an introvert by nature. And I know this about myself now. And so I can't do things back to back. Like I need time to recharge and decompress at home. At the same time, I was writing another book. I'd agreed to another book. And so I was just, um, I mean, I was running ragged. I was trying to be a mom to four little girls and do these speaking events and write a book. And I finally asked an author friend of mine, I was like, how do you do it all? And she goes, well, I break it up into seasons. And if I'm writing, if I'm in a writing season, I'm not, I'm not speaking. And if I'm in a speaking season, I'm not writing. And I was like, oh, like I never considered doing that. But that was really life changing to me because I'm like, you know, that way I know that my book's coming out now. So I'm not planning on writing anything. I'm actually going to take a break from writing and just do podcasts and speaking events for a while. And then when I feel like it's time to write again, I'll probably back down on the speaking. So I think for moms and other jobs, like I have a friend who's an accountant. And so tax season is terrible for her. Right. But then she doesn't play in anything in those three months afterward. And so, you know, she also has to kind of equip herself during that season. Maybe her husband has to pick up the slack at home and she has friends help her out more. And so it's never a perfect balance, I don't think. But I think it just to not feel guilty about cutting back on things and looking at it as a season and like I said, after this book, book launch, it's usually about six weeks. I mean, I'm taking the summer off and I'm giving myself that grace where I might not have done that five years ago. But I think as moms, just anything that we can kind of cut back on, and especially if we know it's going to be a busy season, or there might be times that I think that sometimes when everything's going well, you can juggle it all, but you throw in a glitch or a crisis and all of a sudden we feel so overwhelmed. And so just giving ourselves the grace and also not being scared to ask for help not being scared to cancel some things if we need to. I've had seasons where I had to do that. I had to cancel on some things because I was worried about a child or doing more doctor appointments for something we're looking into. And I found that people, most people are so understanding, you know, even you don't have to give them all the details of what's going on. But if you just say, you know, I need more time for my family or my child needs more attention for me right now, that most people are very understanding, especially if they are a mom or a parent themselves. And so just really just doing doing what's best for our family and knowing that, you know, we can't, it's never a perfect balance, but I think the more uh, we can kind of create some margin in our schedules, the, it, it just allows room for things to go wrong if they need, if they do, or for our child to need us and us to be able to be available for them. I love that. It's all about making that space, but even more importantly, being disciplined as it relates to that space. And as you're talking about this, you know, one of the one of the things that I find particularly challenging, and I suspect you do as well, is that you, if you're not careful, even when you have said, okay, 
here's what we're going to do. Here's the season that we're in. We're not going to do these other things. You can very easily get sucked in. Maybe your publisher says, oh, but it's just one, it's just one speaking engagement, or it's just one podcast, or maybe you should post a bit more on social media so that people know who you are and you get your name out there. And sort of the lure of that, of continuing to build and build and build and build and know that it's going to help you sell more books, that it's going to help your message reach more people. That can be very intoxicating. How do you resist the pull of getting pulled into a different season when you've decided, okay, here's the season that I'm in? Yeah. Oh, that is such a great point too. And I don't know about you, but I have found that when I'm having a really good day or I'm having a really productive week, and I feel like I've got all this extra time that I'm like, I need to do something with it to be very oh, yeah. because I'm like, sometimes those are the weeks somebody else makes a request that I'd said I wasn't going to take. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can do this. And so I, I backtrack on my plans, but, um, but that's a great question. You know, for me, I think that this is really where prayer comes into play. You know, for every, every yes that we give to somebody, we're saying no to something else. And so, you know, sometimes, and especially I think sometimes as moms, we just have a, a gut feeling like, I just feel like I'm supposed to make time for this. I don't know why, but I feel like it doesn't make sense, but I just feel like, feel like God's calling me to make time for this. But then we also have those moments where we feel like, I don't know why, I just have a funny feeling. Like, I feel like this is not something that's meant for me. It's meant for somebody else. And um, I really had a good lesson on this a few years ago that I had a friend, she was a local friend. She asked me to, to come and speak at her event she was doing for moms. It was not going to be a hard event. And, you know, I think she expected me to say yes. And I was like, you know, I just I just got this feeling that I wasn't supposed to do it. And I felt bad because she was my friend. And um, I was like, I'm so sorry, but I just don't think I can fit it into my schedule. She checked back with me a few weeks later, just kind of really please. It really won't be it really won't be that big of a commitment. And I was like, no, I just I, I really don't feel like I'm supposed to be doing this. And so anyway, it was a few weeks after that, that I had a dear friend that lost her husband in a plane accident. And it was terrible. And, you know, of course, that's the kind of thing you just drop everything and you were there for your friend. And a few days later, I was dropping off my kids at school and I'm pulling out of our, our school parking lot and I see a sign in a yard for my other friend's event. And I realized that her event was on that same Saturday as the funeral. And it was the same time as the funeral. And it hit me like if I had said yes to her event, I would have had to cancel on her because obviously I'm going to go to the funeral. And so it's just a reminder to me that maybe that's why God put that funny feeling in me, that maybe that's why I just felt like this is not something I'm supposed to take because only he knows the future, only he knows where I'm supposed to be that day. And so I think that really when we can take that time to get quiet and pray about something before we accept a request and just really think it through. And, um, you know, sometimes we don't have perfect clarity, but a lot of times we do have some kind of instinct pulling us one way or the other. I think it's really important for us to do that as women and know that, you know, we've got limited time and energy and to make sure that we're investing it in the things that God wants us to do. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. You talk about in the book, the importance of knowing yourself and understanding the kind of sort of person and worker that you are. Um, you are a big multitasker. Or you are a self-professed multitasker. I know that is something that will resonate with lots of the people listening. It certainly resonates with me. I get a lot of uh, fulfillment out of productivity. Mm -hmm. um, it's a blessing and a curse, as you, <laughs> I know, would probably acknowledge because you talk about that in the book. Maybe talk about your uh, advice and suggestions for 
how to how to know yourself, how to understand these things about yourself and why that matters so much. Yeah. Why does it matter that you and I both get tremendous fulfillment from productivity and how can that be a risk both for us as well as listeners? Yes. You know, I, I feel like for me, I'm, I'm exactly like you where I'm type A. I love to be productive. I love to look back at my day and feel like I just checked off all the marks. And um, I used to really pride myself on being a great multitasker. And if somebody complimented me on that, I thought it was a good thing. And then a few years ago, I was at the gym and I was talking to a friend whose brother's a psychologist and we were talking about multitasking. And she goes, it's really interesting. If you go look at all the research, it actually shows that you're less efficient when you're multitasking, that you don't get as much done multitasking. And so after that, I kind of just paid attention to it. And, and I realized with myself that you know, when your kids are little, I think that you have to multitask. I mean, you've got right. three kids you're juggling and phone calls and commitments and, you know, trying to keep your children alive and, okay, where's the baby? And where's, you know, it's like your mind is constantly going in different directions. And so um, I think sometimes we moms just stay in that mode. But what I've realized as I've gotten older is like multitasking makes me forgetful. I mean, sometimes I've signed a check and I'm like, what did I do with it? Or I threw it in the trash or, um, you know, it's just things that are, you know, you're putting the keys in the refrigerator and I'm like, it's because I'm doing too much at once. And so right. for me, I've just had to allow myself the grace, like just, okay, breathe and slow down and do one thing at a time. And so instead of checking every email or responding to every email as it comes through, I might say, you know what, I need to write for an hour. I'm going to focus for an hour on this document and then I'll go check all my emails at one time and I will respond to them at one time that, or even text messages. I was like, it does not, just because somebody's texting me right now doesn't mean it needs an immediate response. And that's hard for my personality because my instinct is to be Johnny on the spot, but it really has brought me more peace and it's kind of helped my stress levels come down a little bit just to give myself that grace. And, um, you know, another example, I have a friend that she has four kids too. And she's like, I used to put my laundry, put my laundry basket um, and put my laptop on top of my laundry basket as I put up laundry and listen to podcasts. So she was like, but sometimes I would miss things in the podcast because she's distracted and doing two different things. So she's like, now I put up the laundry and then I sit down on the couch and watch the podcast and I get so much more out of it. And so it sounds like such a little thing, but I think that for moms, that can really be life changing for us. Sometimes we feel like, I don't even know what I think. I can't remember anything. And it's because we're trying to juggle too much mentally. And sometimes if we just slow down and just allow ourselves to do one thing at a time, that we really can be more effective and um, not be doing things like I was, like throwing checks away or <laughs> forgetting, forgetting the things that we don't need to be forgetting. Yeah, I, I actually, I don't know if you if you think this is true, but I actually think it gets harder as we get older. I think our ability to multitask is maybe not as sharp. I think I was frankly better at multitasking when my kids were really small and biologically like I needed to be just, you know, to your point, because they're into everything and you've got a lot of moving parts. Now, again, it's sort of a different way of using my brain and a different mental energy that's required. It really does require a much deeper degree of focus. I would love your tips for how you, while I recognize and I work hard to find that space and that peace as I'm sitting down to think about a podcast or preparing for a guest like this morning, but sometimes that runaway wheel in my head is very, it's very hard for me to, to calm that down. So maybe talk about what you do as a fellow multitasker to kind of put the brakes on and channel that 
that uh, mental energy in the right direction? Yeah. Oh, you're asking such great questions. Uh, it's so true. And I, I always say, I was like, I think I have undiagnosed ADD, like my brain right. everywhere. <laughs> and I know a lot of moms are like that, but I'm just jumping from one idea to another. Even when I speak, I typically do notes because I'm like, I will get off track. I will get on these tangents. And so I know that about myself. And I know that um, sometimes I think I can accomplish more in a day or a week than um, that might actually be physically healthy. And so for me, I think it really starts with looking at those big goals, those those primary goals, and maybe shrinking those down a little bit mm. for me in this season of life. And so, I, again, I think it just takes knowing yourself. I mean, I, I look back and when I was writing my second book, that was six years ago. I mean, I remember looking at my um, my watch that was tracking my sleep. And there were some nights I was getting four hours of sleep. And it was just for me to be able to meet the deadlines and be a mom and be available and doing everything I needed to do. I was really sacrificing some things. And so after that, I'll, I just decided, I was like, I can't do that. You know, I'm not in a season of life. Maybe when my kids are grown and they're out of the house, but I just, I'm not ever going to be an author that releases a new book every year. For me, it's too taxing. And so I just had to kind of make peace with that. And um, even between my second and third book, I mean, I didn't have a book, I forget, let's see, from 2016 to 2020. I mean, I really took a big break in there. And but it's funny, I was like this during this time, I really want to fill up. I really want to read more books. I really want to just be on the receiving end. And what I realized is I felt called to let Rick write the third book was that all those books I thought I was reading for myself or for fun ended up being my research for the third book mm. So it really did all weave in together and play in together. And so. Like I said, I know this is not the message most people get from the world because the world is telling us go big or go home. And maybe there are certain seasons of life. I think we have the grace over us to be able to, to do those things. And, um, and and that's great. But then there are also seasons where maybe if we feel our minds going everywhere that, you know, to really just kind of just get quiet again and just pray and say, OK, God, you know, what is it you want me to, to be doing right now? Um, I have um, I have a on my notes on my phone. I don't know if you do this, but I have like all my ideas on notes. Yeah. And so, I mean, I have like I want to write a play. I want to write a children's book. I want to write about. There's like a hundred article ideas. I mean, I, I have no shortage of ideas. It's just the time to do them. But for yeah. me, it's kind of given me a way that if I have a random idea about this children's book I want to write or this play I want to write, I'll go put it in my little notes section. And that way I know it's there. It won't be forgotten. And when I'm ready to do that project, it might be five years from now. But when I'm ready, it'll be there. But in the time being, I can keep focusing on what I'm, I'm doing right now. How often do you go back and reread your notes to think about, you know, to sort of dream about, OK, when might you make time for that the children's book or the play or some of these other things? You know, not much lately, just because when I signed for Love Her Well, I signed for two books. So as soon uh -huh. as the first one came out, we started talking about the next one and I was just focused on writing it. But that is why I'm kind of excited about after this book launch that I'll have a little space there. I was like, I'm not committing to anything for a while and I want to just go and maybe do something creative and just allow space to me even try something new that I haven't done before. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. So we talked about uh, the last time you and I met, we talked about your career trajectory. And it's an interesting one um, because I have been doing a series of conversations with the Southern Cooterie, which you may know, uh, based in Sea Island, Georgia. They're an amazing network of creative entrepreneurs and founders. I think you may be friends with Whitney yeah. Wise Long, potentially. I know she's a big, big fan of yours, and she is amazing, also from Alabama originally. But we've been talking about 
um, you know, different elements of uh, career and business pivots and growing and evolving in our careers. You started out in communications and public relations, as I recall, but before you launched your business, you actually got your MBA. And I'd love for you to talk about maybe the value that that had in creating a very different business for yourself. Because while you know we talk about the writing and it comes from divine inspiration, including from your children, but at the same time, like this is a business that you're running too. You have a blog, you have a book, it's paying the bills. Let's talk about the value of having that MBA and that that business experience and expertise under your belt, as well as the writing experience? Yes, another great question. And yeah, I think that it really just goes to show that nothing goes to waste. You know, anything, and I'm even telling my children this when they, whatever they major in in college or whatever job you get, like it all builds and you all learn, you get, you learn things from those, every experience that will help you in the future. But I've always been very creative. Uh, I definitely more right brain. My husband is the opposite. He's more left brain. And so we make a good match. And um, long story short, after we got married, I was freelance writing in Huntsville. And his dad had offered to send him back to get his MBA. And so um, this is how the MBA came about. So anyway, so I'm just one of those get it done girls. And so Harry didn't really act on it. But I'm like, your dad is offering to send you back. You need to do this. So I called the, the director of the Alabama MBA program. He made an appointment to come up to Huntsville. And I think in my heart, I'd always kind of thought about getting an MBA, but I was like, I just don't know. I don't know if I ever could really do it, but I'd, I'd, I'd thought about it before, kind of a bucket list type item. But anyway, he came and the director was talking to us about the program. I was just asking lots of questions. And at the end, he was like, I think both of you should do this program. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I was a communications major. Like, I, I haven't even taken a finance class. I know nothing about business. And he's like, I think both of you should do it. We just had our first husband and wife team graduate last year. And Harry, after he left, was like, okay, I will do it if you'll do it with me. And I'm like, Harry, I can't do this. I mean, this is so not my wheelhouse. And he's like, I'll help you. So anyway, we did this, you know, weekend program, year and a half. It was, it was a great experience, but it was so hard. I mean, I wanted to quit so many times early on. And I, I really was about to quit after this one class. I mean, I just left in tears. I was like, I can't understand this stuff. But the one thing I kept imagining was Harry graduating a year and a half later and me being so jealous sitting in the audience watching him graduate with all of our MBA friends. So I stuck with it. Um, I will, you know, I think it definitely helped me. But for me, it just helped me think more logically, it helped me um, just looking at things from a business aspect. And my husband, that comes very natural to him, but it did not come naturally to me. And so um, I did launch a business after that. I sold children's prints for a while. And I think just um, just the marketing, knowing the marketing and not being scared of that part and how I probably have seen it come into play the most in the business I have now is just understanding the business part of it. But really understanding the part that comes after the creativity that, you know, that writing a book is creative and it's fun. But so many writers hate the marketing part like they're like, oh, just I hate that part. And I really love that part. To me, that part is easier than sometimes the actual process of writing. But um, but you've got I mean, like, you know, I mean, everything is a business. And so it really has come into play. Not that I go and crunch numbers now, but just knowing like what's worth my time and energy, um, just kind of knowing I really I remember learning in a marketing class about grassroots effort. And I felt like mm -hmm. that really has come into play in my business, that it's a lot of just grassroots word of mouth that, you know, sometimes we don't have this great business plan, but it's just like the mom network or it's the Bible studies here. And so just kind of understanding those things I do think helps you just have that business mindedness 
can help you in any business that you're doing, even if you're not actually using those skills. To that point, too, I mean, what what you said really resonates with me because this idea of a grassroots movement where when you understand how to market a product and you also understand the importance of connecting directly with your potential customer or in your case, your potential reader, it's, it's really sort of where that magic ultimately happens. Maybe what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs um, who are maybe engaged in their entrepreneurial journey or who are contemplating it, maybe fellow, you know, fellow moms who are thinking about something similar. Maybe what advice do you have for getting started and, and starting um, a, a, a creative business like you've done? Yes. You know, I think that, you know, the one thing is to think, what are you passionate about? But also what breaks your heart too? And, um, and I think this is a good question that they use this in writing, but I think it can apply to a business too. But an editor once told me that they tell writers to ask themselves, what's the pain? You know, what is the pain that people are feeling? So for me, it's like, what's the pain in a mother's heart when she's going to bed at night? You know, what's keeping her up at night or waking her up in the middle of the night? And whatever it is, like, write to that or speak to that. And I think that we live in a world where you know, you feel like you have to be flashy and shiny and just this amazing online influencer. And you can't get a lot of followers like that. But I personally like the people that feel more real and more down to earth and that are really speaking to those real life issues that you might talk about over coffee with your friends. And so I feel like for me, those are the kind of moms that I attract, you know, the ones that are, you know, I had a marketing person and she's amazing that we were just having a conversation about six months ago. And she was like, you need to be doing reels, you know, these Instagram reels. Right. And I'm like, I, I watch them and I, I just tell my husband, I was like, this is just not me. I would feel like an idiot doing this. Like, <laughs> it's just not me. And so I'm not going to do that. But I know that it works for some people. And I know that's what a lot of moms like. But that's just not my personality. And that's not true to who I am. And so I think it's just really important to just think about who's your audience. You know, one thing I'm always asking myself is how can I help people? You know, what can I do to help other people? And I feel like the gift that I can provide is just simply that I've been doing it for 20 years. So a lot of the moms that are following me now are behind me and they're just looking for advice and guidance um, and stories or just assurance that they will get through this hard season they're in. Um, but I also think I'm just so fortunate that I've had I had great parents. My husband had great parents. I meet so many awesome counselors. I meet awesome moms at all these speaking events I go to. Like I have just been poured into by a wealth of different resources and people who are just really wise parents, wise people. They've helped me grow so much in my faith and just my understanding and, and just the work that I'm doing. And so I really see myself as just a conduit. Like, how can I take all this, this stuff that everybody's given me and just pass it on to others? Or, you know, even with the faith component, I was like, I spend my life, you know, looking at Bible verses, thinking about which one's going to go in my book. And just a lot of people don't have that. They don't know where to start. And so right. how can I take these gifts that I've been given that have helped me so much in my life or my faith journey or my parenting and share it with others. And I think when you really look at it at that point and don't worry about the followers or the likes and, and that's hard to get over. And, and I realized now I wrote three fiction novels before I ever got published. And I realized I needed that rejection because it, it just prepares you for rejection as a writer that sometimes you write an article and you spend days or a week, right? Working on it and it gets no traction or a podcast or whatever, and it doesn't get the response you hoped it would. And then sometimes you write something and it, it resonates and you don't know why, but it just, it hits moms in the heart and it does get that traction. But 
it's really it's really tempting to want to just do only those things that you know are going to get a lot of likes or get a lot of traction. And I just I don't think that's the way to go because there have been many things I've written or posted that I'm like. Um, I know that this is not going to get a lot of likes or attention, but I just feel like this is what God's calling me to do. And I'm just very a big believer. If we just stay obedient to what he's calling us to do, then he's going to lead us to that that plan that he has for us and that path that ultimately is going to be so rich and meaningful and fulfilling um, and bring it. It'll it'll bring the right people in. You know, I'd rather have the 100 of the right people than 10,000 of the wrong people following me. You know, and, and that's what's been so great about my faith journey is like, there are more moms out there that think like me and that that care about faith in their home like I do than I even thought. And that's what's so neat is when you connect with those like-minded people and they just encourage you in what you're doing too. I absolutely love that. It reminds me um, too, you also write about the importance of creating a network of people that help support you as you're on this journey. Maybe talk a little bit about that piece of it because it's it's multidimensional. I mean, we talk about building and oftentimes growing and evolving our networks as we grow and evolve. And, you know, at times it can be, there's an element as you grow as a person Sometimes you have to expand into um, areas where you need an expertise that doesn't currently exist with your network, or it may be a matter of educating your network who have only the best intentions for you, but you're being called to do something else. And it you may have to kind of take them along with you on the journey. Maybe talk about navigating the maybe the importance of networking, creating your network, but also um, how you evolve it and how you continue to grow it. Oh, that's a great question too. It's so true. Uh, you know, it's funny in the season that I'm in, I mean, I think we all have our, our best friends. You know, you have maybe your best friends from high school and your best friends from college and your best friends from your early days as a mom and uh, your best friends from work, you know, just different places. We all have that, that network. And it's really tempting to just, you know, stick with our, our best friends, those people that have always been our people, our tribe. And I think it's very important to, to maintain those connections. But I have found that, you know, as I grow up and as my kids grow up, I've got to expand my network. And it has brought so much wealth and wisdom into my life. And so I, I think there's this idea that moms and women today, we think that all of our, our whole tribe is going to come from one area of life. Like, okay, I don't have a group of school mom friends, or I don't have a, a group of mom friends, you know, in the same age range, which we definitely need that. But I think the best tribes are when you're, you're being fed into like, by different people. And it's really, I mean, I just really look for who do I connect with? I mean, you know, they're just, sometimes there's some people that you just have a two minute conversation with them and you just feel connected. I mean, and this has happened to me when I was picking up a cake at a bakery. I became friends with a girl who's the owner and we had lunch. And I'm like, I just like her. And I like her way of looking at life. She's got a lot of wisdom. Same thing happened with, we had a, um, a woman down the street that nannies for some girls. And she, my daughter has babysat over there. So my daughters met them. And when my daughter was going to Auburn, she brought over a cake and pizza and did like this party for my daughter with these little girls. I mean, just the sweetest soul ever. And so we got to be friends and we've been, you know, encouraging each other and going to lunch. And so it's, it's so out of my normal network, but I'm just like, it just makes your life so much richer to do that. And so I just feel like those are the people that inspire me now. It's just the, the older I get, the more I realize how important it has people to share your values. And sometimes those people will look like you and sometimes they won't look like you. Sometimes they'll be your age. Sometimes they'll be 20 years older. Um, you know, my, my husband has a funny story that 
he used to host this men's Bible study on our porch. And um, it, the, the guys are his age, it's their dads. And and one day they were leaving and there was this older gentleman walking down the street. And he's like, what are y'all doing there? And, and one of the guys told him, and then the, the guy told him, I said, you should come one morning. So the next Friday morning, he showed up <laughs> at the Bible study. And so I was like, Harry, who is that man on our porch? <laughs> he's like, oh, I'll tell you that story. And so anyway, but it is so funny now, like, you know, he's been going for about a year. He shows up every Friday. And I mean, Harry always has a story about him. Like he's the most interesting person and just the stories that he shares and the wisdom that he's given to this, these guys. But it's just such an example of like, just being open to your network. Or like you said, you know, sometimes, I have found when my child is going through a trial or say you've got a health issue or something that's going on with your trial, like being open to what God might do in that new chapter of your life that your friends can't help you. You know, when my daughter broke her finger, you know, she needed hand therapy and it's just, it was this whole ordeal, but we're still friends with that hand therapist. We'd go see her twice a week and she and I are friends on Facebook. And it just led to so many blessings. And that I think that's just how life is. It's just no matter where, God is taking us or what's happening, even if it's somewhere, a place we don't want to be, even if it's a cancer treatment or something. And I just always ask ourselves like, okay, I'm here. So maybe who am I supposed to meet? Who maybe am I supposed to influence? Who am I meant to encourage today? That just really thinking wherever we are, that we can make those friends, we can expand our network. And like I said, it just makes life so much more interesting and, and meaningful. It absolutely does, but it also requires that investment of time, right? It, it doesn't, I mean, it, it can just happen, but it can only happen, as you just said, when you're open to it and when you allow the space to to do that, when you're not so, so scheduled and multitasking to such a degree that you're not allowing the time for that. I mean, I really feel like I went through a big part of my life, sort of pedal to the metal, nose to the grindstone, and not really allowing for that opportunity to really grow sort of much more organically, if you will. And so I feel like that those are, you know, again, maybe it's a matter of seasons, maybe it's a matter of when you're in a different season that there's more of an opportunity, but it is also, as you write in the book, a form of self-care, which I thought was such an interesting way to think about that. Yes. Oh, I think I think it's one of the biggest forms of self-care because again, I think when we are feeling, you know, more like ourselves or learning new things about ourselves or growing as people in a positive direction, it makes us a stronger person and a better role model for our children. And um I know, and I thought, I thought about this, and I think what we're working against is just, especially here in America, is just the pace that we consider normal. And this always stuck with me, but you know, I shared in the book, but my husband's Greek Orthodox. And so we have the priest here in Birmingham at that church. He worked in Greece for 10 years. And we did a family trip to Greece five years ago. My kids have not stopped talking about it since. We're talking about going back this summer, God willing. But we just, you know, it's just amazing to see a different lifestyle and a different way that people live. And I always became enamored. I heard about um, this island called Akiria over there where they have an abnormal number of people that live to be past 100. And they don't have all the diseases and cancers. They just don't have a lot of the issues that we have. And so it's, it's a blue zone of the world. And it's very interesting if you go study the blue zones, but they're the healthiest regions of the world. Uh -huh. People live to 100. They don't have a lot of the issues like we have here. But, um, but what his priest said kind of went to what I was reading about the blue zones and just the European lifestyle in a lot of, a lot of places was he said, um, I was like, what's the diff biggest difference between working in America versus working in Greece or just the, between the two countries? And he goes, it's very interesting, but I think it's the pace. And so he said, if I saw a friend in Greece that I hadn't seen in years 
we would drop everything and go have coffee for three hours. Because if I saw an old friend here in America, we would exchange numbers and we would talk about going to coffee and that might or might not happen. Mm. And I just kept thinking about that after he left our house. I was like, you know, we can't drop everything because we're too packed. We have too much scheduled in every day and we don't leave time for those little interactions or those conversations or the just drop everything to go have coffee. And it happened again the other night. I actually just did a, a podcast with a Greek Orthodox priest out in San Francisco. And when we were talking about the podcast, he's over this Ionian village, which is a summer camp in Greece for the youth all around the world. And he was like, gosh, I've just been so busy lately. He goes, I don't know how in Greece I can go have coffee with a friend and not even be on a time frame and still get everything done that day. And I can't do it here. And I was like, I think it's the pace and the expectation of what we try to accomplish every day. So I don't know. I think those little things have just really just turned my mindset to like maybe maybe I've had it wrong all these years. Maybe my productive nature, my type A personality, which actually matches the personality of, of America. I think it's, you know, America's a type three Enneagram. And so when you have that personality <laughs> yourself, too, it can be a good thing. and It can make you look like an achiever, or make you accomplish a lot. But maybe that's not always so good for our health or our well-being. Yeah. Um, Carrie, one of the other things you talk about in the book that really resonated with me is this idea of we have to grow up and learn to mother ourselves. And I know you talk about this from a very personal standpoint. Maybe talk about what you mean by that and how, how you write about that in the book. Yes. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I lost my mom two years ago. And I'm kind of ahead of some of my friends because I was the fourth child in my family. So my mom had me when she was almost 40. So I think sometimes some of the things I've been through, some of my friends haven't been through yet, but it's coming, unfortunately. But what I realized is my mom was really sick in the last four years of her life. And so, you know, when you're dealing with your own health crisis or issues, you don't have time to go mother. You can't mother people like you used to. And, um, and I look back and I'm like, man, it used to drive me nuts. And my mom would nag me if I had a cold, you know, she'd tell me, go see a doctor or go do this. And then once she couldn't do it anymore, I was like, man, I, I miss that. And I realized that as, as we lose our parents and as we lose that generation that, that raised us, that generation that looked out for our well-being, like we're looking out for our kids right now, you know, there's nobody telling us, go to the doctor. I mean, my husband does, but it's not the same as your mother. You know, there's just nobody... There's your dad is not saying, okay, you, you have oil in your car, you know, you need to get an oil change. It's just those, those little things that can kind of drive you nuts when you're, when you're growing up, but you look back and you're like, you really miss it once you don't have those people in your life. And so I realized the importance of mothering myself. And really I'm like, if I don't do it, who's going to do it for me? And so if I cancel a doctor's appointment, nobody's holding me accountable for that. And I was mentioning to somebody the other day that the whole irony of me writing this book is that I'm still struggling with so many of these concepts. You know, if I have a doctor's appointment for my child, I would never cancel it. But I've had this wellness appointment where she's she's helping me with my vitamins and my hormones and some things that are off. It's very important. And I know that. But I've canceled it twice because I'm like, oh, I don't have time right now. And I'm like, I'm totally a hypocrite based on what I'm writing. But I know I need to do this. But I'm like, I can cancel and there's no ramifications. Nobody's nagging me to go reschedule. And so it's really important for us to mother ourselves internally and externally too, because we're losing that generation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that whole idea of self-management, you know, it's really that sort of bigger picture of learning to manage ourselves. And as we talk about on this podcast, we're focused on building and sustaining influence in our lives. Like a big piece of 
building influence is actually learning to manage yourself, learning emotional control, learning to be disciplined. I mean, all those sorts of things that we all we all know at a at a big picture level, but sometimes sort of breaking it down in a granular way, I think is so important. And that's a really, really powerful message that you just delivered. Carrie, I am really grateful to have you here. I'm grateful for your work and and really enjoyed the conversation today. Oh, thank you, Laura. I loved it too. And I've been looking forward to this all week. friend. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'd love to hear your feedback on this or any of our She Said, She Said podcast episodes. You can reach me on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. You'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan, or you can go directly to the show notes for this episode, episode 221. There is a handy contact me link embedded there where you can send me a quick note. And if you have an extra minute, please consider jumping on iTunes and leaving me a review. Those reviews help me continue to improve this content so that it's more valuable for you. Plus, it's what friends do. I would be so incredibly grateful. I'll talk to you again next week. Until then, you take care. She Said, She Said podcast is produced weekly by She Said, She Said Media.